The great institutions of the world, the universities, celebrity and sports culture, the press, have failed morally by finding ways to justify or soften Hamas barbarism. But there's good news too. The elites may be out of touch, but polling data has found that among the population, certainly in America and I think Britain, most people, the majority, are supporting Israel at this hour. That's probably true around a lot of the world as well. So the elite institutions of the world may be out of touch, but the general public, who are perhaps a silent majority, are willing to side with what's right. And this means that the Jewish people have an opportunity today. We can become the global institution that shows them the path of God's morality. The mistake we make is thinking we just have to highlight the flawed moral thinking of the anti-Israel elites, but we can't just show them what's wrong. We have to teach people what is right as well. As King David wrote in Psalms, turn from evil and do good. I.e. don't just turn people away from the wrong and the evil. That's not enough to give them moral clarity and, you know, stability. You also need to show them good. And that's why we're creating a new series on JTV called Jewish or Torah Morality for the World. By the way, I'm not sure if we should actually call it Jewish or Torah Morality for the World. Um, comment with what you think sounds better. But this issue of lacking in moral clarity is no more the case than what Israel is seeing among some of her friends today. There are some friends of Israel, be it citizens in other countries, governments, media figures, who have expressed support for Israel's right to defend herself. But then the second it starts to get a bit messy in Gaza, they suddenly start talking of restraint and needing to show proportion for Israel not to create collective punishment and international law, etc, etc. And then you have these reporters in Gaza constantly focused on every move of the IDF saying, look world, look at this destruction they're causing. Yes, it's war. What are you expecting? I sometimes think with some of these journalists, either you're so deeply confused morally, or you're just a vicious anti-Semite. But for those who are listening, we need to teach the world about Jewish and Torah morality when it comes to war, because it requires a bit of depth and thinking. So let's talk about that in this video. The first point to raise is that war is tragic and horrific and messy and painful. The Jews were the first to teach the world about peace as an ideal. In fact, it's a bit ironic that even Israel's biggest critic, the UN, has on its wall in New York a quote from Isaiah. Quote, nation shall not lift sword against nation, neither shall they practice war anymore. They know that the Torah is the source, the originator of this concept of world peace as a value, as an ideal. But the Torah teaches that sometimes war is necessary and unavoidable. But hear this bit clearly for the sake of peace. In other words, Judaism teaches that war should be fought with the clear objective of creating a lasting peace. It's all under the same value of wanting peace. So people who say we want peace, not war, sometimes you need war to create peace. So the Torah teaches that when you fight an enemy that seeks to destroy you, you should fight comprehensively and in order to discourage them from fighting you for a generation. And that is precisely for the sake of having peace. So this whole notion of fighting proportionally is absurd. Proportion shouldn't be the objective. Defeating the threat and creating peace should be the objective. 
Duh. <laughs> and by the way, this is for the benefit of both sides too. This notion of tit-for-tat fighting simply elongates conflict and suffering for both sides. It's like imagine a surgeon saying, I'm not going to completely cut open his body and remove the cancer. I'll just do a small incision here and then maybe a small one later. That's not good. That's not just. That's wrong. That's dangerous. So proportionality in war is only relevant when the question is what will create long-lasting peace and security. Proportionality on its own as a principle is absurd. Are you saying that Israel should go into Gaza and line up to murder, rape and kidnap the exact number of civilians that Hamas claimed on the Israeli side? Some people have been talking about Israel seeking revenge in response. Now that sort of action would be revenge and it would be wrong. The objective has to be discouraging the enemy to secure long-term peace. The Torah rejects the veneration of proportionality as a value in and of itself. When the Allies dropped a bomb on Hiroshima in World War II, it wiped out vast numbers of people, many civilians, but it ended the war and gave long-lasting peace, and no one questioned the morality of it. By the way, this works the other way too. If you were to fight your enemy and just kill 10 people, fighters and civilians among them, but it didn't create peace, then you're wasting life. People mistake the Torah view as not valuing life. It's actually because of the Torah's value in the sanctity of every single life that its position is informed. So whatever the IDF need to do to discourage the enemy long term is just and should be supported. So when you hear people in the news or activists screaming, there's no justification for killing civilians, you say, actually, yes, there is. The justification is peace. Not targeting civilians, but when fighting the enemy and they may be an inevitable casualty of war, which is the nature of war, there, there is a justification for that, which is fighting a war to create peace. And in the meantime, those who scream that and say there's no justification, they really just need to grow up. Another important question, should you prioritize your own soldiers' lives or the lives of enemy civilians? Well, the first interesting thing to note is that outside of war, in an individual circumstance, when you have to kill someone who for all you know is innocent in order to save your own life, the Torah prohibits it. However, in war, it's different because this is about decisions that affect your entire nation and the security and well-being of your entire nation. So Torah certainly doesn't teach intentional targeting of civilians if the enemy can be defeated and discouraged without doing so. But in the question of whether you prioritize your own soldiers' lives versus civilians in enemy territory, Torah certainly leans more towards protecting your own soldiers' lives. And by the way, on this point, even this notion of soldier versus civilian needs to be put under the spotlight. Is the life of our soldier any less precious than the life of our civilians? Should they be forced to lay down their life in order to protect civilians in enemy territory? And alternatively, on the enemy side, of course there will be many innocent civilians caught up in a society of violence that must hate it. But there are also going to be some civilians that support Hamas and will join in in the fight if other Hamas fighters fall. I'm just trying to say that these distinctions, let's just question them because it's, it's a little bit less straightforward than we might think. Of course there are innocents caught up. But again, 
when we're thinking about civilian versus uh, fighter, it's a fact that we cannot ignore that Hamas was voted in democratically and, according to recent polling, still commands a majority support in Gaza, which is utterly tragic. And perhaps these polls were said under intimidation. Let us hope. Let us hope that they will rise up against their oppressive rulers. And of course, the children of Gaza are utterly innocent and their suffering is tragic. They are being raised in schools and in their media on a diet of pure, unadulterated Jew hatred. They are certainly victims, victims of brainwashing and indoctrination. And so again, something has to be done to discourage the enemy for a generation, otherwise this cycle is going to continue. Another important question. Hamas say, if we stop bombing them, then they'll release civilian hostages. So what's the moral thing to do there? Stop bombing and get hostages release? This is a tough and painful question. And if we don't know what God says, then again, how do we make a decision? And if we make a decision, which is gonna be so difficult, we have to be confident that it's the right thing to do. So how could any human being do this? The only way they can do it is with confidence in God's morality and his direction. So the moral decision is, we will not stop bombing until after you release the hostages. Because if we stop, you won't release them. We don't trust you. You're not people of your word. So of course not. And secondly, why only give back the civilians and not the soldiers too? What kind of half moral deal is that? You're not offering anything moral or doing anything correct. You're just liars. When Israel rescued Jews that were captured in Entebbe in Uganda in the 70s after a hijacking of a plane, it was an amazing miracle where they managed to, uh, to, to retrieve the hostages. In fact, it was Benjamin Netanyahu's brother, Yoni, who was one of the soldiers that died in the rescue operation. And the rescue operation was a huge miracle and the whole world was amazed by it and they loved it for a few weeks. <laughs> but in that instance, Israel said, we don't negotiate with terrorists. Maybe they could have done a deal. Maybe they could have released lots of prisoners and gotten hostages back. But they said, no, we don't make deals with terrorists. It's not the Jewish thing to do. And that decision was blessed with miraculous success. And everyone called it a miracle. And for a couple of days, the world was sane. Now, why is this way the Jewish way? Because you're not allowed to create an industry called kidnapping and hostage taking. If every person who takes a hostage gets what he wants, then you're encouraging an industry of kidnapping. And our actions will sow the seeds for that. So what sounds superficially on the surface a good idea is not morality. It's immoral to encourage crime and it's dangerous. How many people in Hamas think, okay, the UN will call for a ceasefire and we'll be fine? Who taught them this? That they can pull off a massacre and Israel will just accept a ceasefire? We've been loyal to secular morality and it has cost us dearly. And it has caused our enemy to lose so many people as well because there's nothing moral about it. And lastly, I want to say something about the Prime Minister of Israel. Prime Minister Netanyahu has a very unenviable position right now. I cannot imagine 
the amount of strain he is going to be under. Can you? He needs an awesome amount of strength. He needs to be the chosen among the chosen. He needs every vote, every confidence and encouragement and support because this is way too much for one man to do. So anyone who's criticising him or condemning him, how misguided and inappropriate can you be to the moment? So we all have to pray for this poor man who God has clearly chosen for this moment. No one expected him to be Prime Minister again, but God chose him so, so he must think that he can do it. And to abandon him at this moment? How can that possibly be good? And what can we do around the world? For Jews, wherever we are, if we start acting like we're chosen and doing Jewish things and teaching Jewish things, holy things, proudly, publicly, things that only a holy and chosen people do, then we can save the world. The silent majority is figuring out what is wrong, but they're not familiar with what is right. And we need to give them ammunition. It's not enough to say to people, this is wrong. We've got to point them to what is right, to what should be. And what miracle should all of us be hoping for? The defeat of Hamas? That is absolutely insignificant in the bigger picture. Defeating Hamas is not the issue. Yes, they have to be defeated, but that's not the issue. The issue is the whole world. The moral lecturing coming from the world that's justifying barbarism. If that doesn't change, then we've gotten nowhere. Even after we destroy Hamas, then we'll have to destroy Hezbollah and the grandchildren of Hamas and Hezbollah. And all the time, they're getting more sophisticated. We need a miracle bigger than a biblical event. What we need is Moshiach. What is that? Where the whole world recognises, finally, the truth and goodness. A miracle that transforms the whole world, not just settles the score. The miracle we hope for is that human beings turn out to be the miracle. Not that they have to be punished with fire from the sky. Jews are reading the story of Noah in the Torah, in synagogues across the world this week. It talks about the dawn of civilization and the world becoming violent and corrupt. And the Hebrew word it uses for this, by the way, is Hamas. <laughs> Hamas means corrupt and violent. And God said the people have become so evil that they need to die. But after the flood, he promises Noah that this won't happen again. And it's always bothered me, how can God promise such a thing? If human beings have free will, then how could God guarantee that? Or are we saying that he'll just let the world go evil beyond repair and do nothing? Certainly not. Jews believe as a matter of principle that the world will become entirely good. So an answer given is that God knew after Noah that an Abraham would arrive on the scene and he would create a nation that would inspire the whole world to goodness. So God's promise means the people of the world are now inspirable. The tools are there, even among those who say they hate us. There is hope for them. So let's help them out. In the story of the Exodus, people sometimes miss this, but God is constantly trying to get Pharaoh to recognize his evil ways and repent. Ultimately, he chose not to, but the message is that this is the way it will have to happen in the end. Evil will have to surrender naturally to good. 
Only then will humans have created a godly world through their own choice, not through God's force, which is not so virtuous. It's interesting, one of the things that the Islamists get wrong is that they think you have to impose truth by force. That's not actually the godly way. Because otherwise, if it's done through force, it's not really our own choice. And God is after relationship with all of us. But we have to have confidence and faith in human beings because God does and the Jewish people do. You look at Mossab Hassan Yusuf, son of a Hamas leader, who saw the evil of the ways of Hamas, despite being raised on a diet of hate. He should give us hope in humanity. We are confident that a miracle that has not yet happened will happen. The miracle that we human beings will perform, not God, which is we will all come to acknowledge the truth of the God of Israel. The truth cannot be forever denied. God cannot be forever denied. So as Jews, we can be part of that miracle, the real miracle that we really need, the fundamental miracle that solves these problems. We can be part of that solution simply by recognising who we are, that we are the chosen people who belong in the Holy Land, which was given by God himself. And then all our friends can tell their friends and people will start to wake up and they'll say, hey, stop messing with the chosen people. What's wrong with you? Instead, sit down and let's learn from them over the internet if you want. That can help the miracle happen. Publicly act like Jews and the world can say, you see, that's the chosen people. Then we're doing our job, modeling godliness. The world wants it, and that's what we were created for. I'm Ollie Annisfeld, and you're watching JTV.